So, Lord, we thank you tonight for such an open heaven, a presence here that's just been a thick glory, a thick awesome presence. So we thank you for that. We thank you. Even now, as people are going to be listening to this, watching this, I thank you, Holy Spirit, for moving upon every one of us and helping us to be good soil. Lord, I thank you by the Holy Spirit, helping us to have eyes and ears of the Spirit, good soil, that living seed to truth sown into that good soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. And this will be powerful and effective, and everything will be said, everything will be accomplished in it through the true will to be done. I thank you, Lord, for the wind of your spirit blowing this out to the nations. It's going to get where it's supposed to and accomplish what it's supposed to. And we agree together the word will not return void, but accomplish everything that God intends it to. And, and we take authority because we know the birds of the air try to steal the seed. Anything that would try to hinder this word, from getting where it's supposed to get or accomplishing what it's supposed to, any resistance. In the name of Jesus as a church, we bind you now. You will back off. We break your power. And Lord, I thank you that your mighty angels are on assignment just clearing away all the resistance so your purposes can go forward in Jesus' name. So Lord, we thank you for everything being accomplished in it through this time that your will to be done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so we're looking at the last great wave. I mean, you guys have been learning something through this series, maybe something you didn't know, all right? That's my goal through this whole series to try to bring some things maybe you've never heard. I think many times God has put on my heart to preach along lines of subject matter that maybe isn't covered in a lot of places. And so this really helps people out there because they're not really hearing this too, too many times out there. There's not too many people that are covering the subject. All right, so we're looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, and we're going to be dealing with the last great wave of the Holy Spirit. And it reads this way, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence, confidence to enter the most holy place. Now, where is that? The Holy of Holies, right? The most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So what's going to get us into the glory? The blood. And it says, by a new and living way, which he has opened for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And since we have a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse them from an evil con conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the sprinkling is the blood. And then the bodies washed with pure water so that we can come into the, to the deep places of God's glory. And it says, also let us hold firmly the profession of our faith without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to spur one another to love and to good works. Let us not forsake assembling ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but let us exhort one another, especially as you see the day approaching. So, some of the things here in this passage in particular, I feel that some parts of the body of Christ have gotten away from this. In particular, a couple of things I'm covering when I say that. One is like being deeply consecrated unto God instead of kind of having a sloppy grace or, or some type of a hyper grace type of mentality. Rather than that, 
having a holy fear of God and like a deep consecration unto God. Another thing that you can see implied is a love for God's word and you see that some have gotten away from the word. Have you noticed that the devil has been attacking for the last couple of decades in this nation, really attacking the word of God to get people to quit believing in the word? And also another thing you see is the devil's been working overtime to get people out of church. And it says here, don't forsake assembly yourselves together. And so you can see in here that this pattern of having a reverential fear of God honoring his word and being deeply consecrated coming through the blood and the washing of the water into the glory and, and coming together not forsaking the assembly the Lord's trying to give us something here that will take us into his glory and keep us there where there's a safety and a protection but see when people get outside of that and they begin to kind of live however they want to live they get out of church they don't believe the word what happens they get vulnerable and they're open up to demonic warfare and they don't realize a lot of times the warfare that's attacking them they think demonic warfare is a certain way maybe in their mind but what they don't understand is the very fact that they're so far from God and they've grown so cold and distant and gotten out of God's purposes for their life, that is the warfare right there. You understand what I'm saying? And they don't even understand that. They, they, I guess they think of spiritual warfare in different terms, but the warfare is such to take them away from God and God's purposes for their life. And so, River of Life, we're going to be coming into a time like we do in the fall and the spring every year where we have a season of prayer and fasting. And during this time, for a couple of weeks or so, I ask people to, to consider whatever God would have you fast. But listen to what I'm saying. Let it be a time where we say, Lord, show me things I need to see. Help me to really repent of anything that I need to repent of. Things maybe I haven't seen before, maybe things I haven't understood but bring it up so that I can see it, so that I can go deeper in Christ. Because the deep repentance, the deep cleansing that happens in our hearts, and then at the end of that, we have a time where we really consecrate our lives afresh as a church. And every time we've done this, I feel that everything seems so clean and crisp and free in the atmosphere in here. I don't know if you've noticed that, but I do. I come in after all of that, and it's a real shift in the atmosphere. And so we're going to be doing that, but let God take you deeper during this time. Now, what I feel God's saying to me is he's wanting everything to start being full flame. And I've been feeling this, and I, I looked this up today because I, was, I remembered that there was something that Carol Arnott shared years ago, and I remembered it. It's way back in the back of my mind that she had shared something along these lines. But I have felt that God is wanting to take us so much deeper in his presence. There was a lady years ago that was an intercessor here in River of Life, and she moved to a different part of the country. But while she was here, she had had a dream that she shared with me, and I really felt it was from the Lord. So I documented the dream, but this was years ago. I mean, probably 2011, 12 in that time frame to give you an idea. And I went back recently and was going over some old words, and it was so interesting to me to see 
how gradually they have been fulfilled or they're being fulfilled, and you can tell. Well, this was one of those I feel like now is about to be fulfilled. But in this particular dream, she saw a river of life, and we were like in Jesus' day, and in the dream, we were like in the synagogue where he ministered, like the temple area. And it was like what she pictured in the dream, like the type of flooring that would be there and the, the columns and all of that. And there was a fragrance. There was a, a fragrance of the Lord. She was actually smelling a fragrance. And she said that we were on holy ground, and it was so holy that everybody was just on their face before God. And Jesus himself was there walking among us. But she, she said he was about two inches off the ground. He was walking, but he was just kind of hovering over the place. And it was just holy ground. And she says she remembered that in the dream that the Lord was dealing with deep things in her. And so she was kind of in a fetal position and God was bringing the stuff up that needed to be dealt with. And so she, was, she said it was uncomfortable because God was dealing with things in his presence that she needed to be dealt with about, but yet it was beautiful and wonderful what was going on because she was obviously going to be going deeper in Christ on the other side of that uncomfortable feeling. But she said, though, in the dream, and this is one of the things I really remember, that somebody... She came up, somebody had come up to me and said, Pastor, so-and-so died because of, you know, they were in there and they died. And in the dream, it was like I had told her, and I remember this is all in the dream. I told her, I said, well, they didn't take the Lord seriously, and they didn't take his presence seriously. And I remember that dream because I believe, you remember in the book of Acts, whenever the glory of God came so strong, and there were such incredible miracles. I mean, there was such an awesome presence of God. Yet Ananias and Sapphira lied to God and dropped dead right there in his presence. And I felt something similar. I really believe this. I believe as we move into the fullness of this last day move before Jesus comes, that if people, you got to understand, God is such a loving God. He's merciful. And he gives people a chance, you know. There's going to be altar calls. There's going to be opportunity to, to repent. But if people continue to come into God's presence and they're, they're taking communion and they're, they're in the glory, and then they're going to go out and continue to live in unrepentant sin, they're putting their very life in danger because they're opening themselves up to the enemy being able to take them out. You understand what I'm saying? And so this isn't something to be taken lightly. And I'm concerned because I feel like much of Christendom since around, so we're talking about revivals in this series. So it shifted from the 80s into the 90s, and then, it, you know, throughout the entire 90s to probably 2005, there was this great wave. And this wave was, was like a glory fire, a glory realm. And there was a deep repentance in this. But as that began to wane, you saw how the enemy began to move and his counter move was very much a lack of the fear of the Lord and kind of an anything goes started creeping into a lot of places, you see. But the Lord doesn't change. He's still a holy God. And let me just go ahead and rabbit trail for a moment about this. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So in other words, that's kindergarten. 
If we want the Lord and we want to have his presence, then kindergarten, we need to learn that there's a holy fear of God involved in this. Now, the reason why the Bible says that Jesus taught us fear him who can not only kill your body but throw your soul into hell. Jesus taught us to have a holy reverential fear of God. No matter how old I get in the Lord, no matter how much he's taught me, no, ma no matter how much God has moved in my life, I don't ever want to lose there being this deep reverential fear that he's God, he is holy, and he is awesome, and I need to live right before him. Amen? I don't want to ever lose that. But with that said, the Bible teaches us as we grow in Christ, God's love is perfect, but our love isn't. And so the way this thing begins in our lives is like this. God begins to move in our lives with a fear of God. And how many knows when you first get saved and you're walking before the Lord, you have this reverential fear of like, what well, I could go to hell. I better make sure I'm right with God. How many went through that in the early years? I remember those days. Most people do. That's actually a good thing. But as you grow in the Lord, what happens is you get to know the Lord and you... As you spend time with him, you begin to really grow in your love for him. Your love toward God is being perfected. God's love is already perfect, but your love is now being perfected that you're beginning to fall in love with him and his ways. And the more that you love him and your love is perfected, the more that cast out fear. And here's how that works. Because now... You're not doing things that you're not supposed to do. Instead of not doing them out of a fear of judgment, you're not doing them because you love God so much that you don't want to hurt your relationship with him. And so as your love is perfected, it begins to cast the fear out because you don't have to have that as much. Now you love the Lord and you don't want to hurt the relationship. You don't want to hurt him. Does that make sense? Now, as we grow in our, our fear of God and we grow in our love of God, we have to understand that the glory of the Lord is going to be increasing in these latter days. I mean, a lot. And God's getting us ready. I believe in the 80s, I've shared this already, but let me bring this back up. In the 80s, the prophets saw that there would be two great waves before Jesus came. And the first wave would be so powerful that everybody would think, this is it. This is the big one. <laughs> and I heard that a lot in the 90s. This is it. Jesus is coming. You know, and then you had the whole year 2000. So everybody thought, you know, surely the Lord's going to come. We're changing the millennia, you know. How many remember Y2K and all? The combination of all of this. We, we all knew Jesus was coming, you know. So we're just, we're just ready. But that's what the prophets saw. They said in the 80s that there would be two great waves and the first one would be so powerful, people would think this is it, the Lord's coming. But they said that's not it, that that wave would usher in a harvest of souls and touch people. But they saw, do you know how a wave, if you've ever really been at the ocean, you know that these big waves, that when a wave comes in and there's another really big wave coming, that the water recedes way back. You know what I'm talking about? And when the water recedes way back, you begin to see all this, this junk that, like the seaweed and all the different things that you didn't really see before. Is anybody kind of picking up on some metaphor here? So this big wave has come, and now there's been a big receding of it, 
And all this ugly stuff is being exposed. But in that wave, here's what they said. They said there would be another wave coming behind it that would be much bigger. They said it was kind of like a tsunami wave. It was huge. The, the first wave was substantially smaller. And they said that wave, when it came, they said that would be the wave uh, that would help tuck it, take us into the coming of the Lord and all of that. But they said also that that wave, the people that were saved and really touched in the first wave would be used in the next one. And so I really made note of that because I knew that we were going to see another major revival. And I remember, let me share now about Carol Arnott. She saw that there was this glory coming in and there was an opportunity for people to run down to the altars and repent and get right with God and make sure everything's right. And she said that in this dream she had, she ran out there and there was a man and she was warning him. She said, God's hand's been on your life. He's touched you. He's anointed you in times past, but you're living in adultery. And if you don't repent, I fear for your life. And so where we're going with this thing is there's not going to be like a lot of games being played here. Either people are really going to repent or they're going to be kind of cast off, so to speak. And some of them may lose their life if they keep playing games with God and won't repent. They keep getting somebody calling them out saying, repent. They hear the altar calls. They feel the tug of the Holy Spirit. If they keep going like that and they refuse to repent over a period of time, eventually they could open themselves up to judgment and possibly premature death. So just be aware of the depth of what God's about to do. But in this glory that's coming, on a positive note, an impossible harvest will come in. People that, that others gave up on, those that people said about them, they'll never be saved. The hardest hearts, the most difficult people, God's going to bring in that harvest. Okay, so... Let me just give you something to think about is in regards to full flame. Can you imagine for a moment, because there are some legitimate, credible prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled. And I believe that we haven't seen them fully because it came in two waves. And everybody was expecting it in the first wave. Some of it was fulfilled in the first, but the rest of it will be fulfilled in the latter. And one of them was Dr. Cho. In the early 90s, he was here in America carrying his attache preaching, and he was burdened for America. Now, let me tell you, the Korea, South Korean people are prayer warriors. That, I'm just going to tell you, this is on the Internet in the recording and everything, that, that they make us in America look like a bunch of wimps and sissies when it comes to prayer, okay? They put us to shame. So let that convict us and get us back in prayer like we need to be, Amen. But Dr. Cho and all these South Koreans, they have, this prayer, they have a prayer mountain there, a bunch of grottos, and people are constantly there praying and fasting. And they were really praying for America. And the reason why Dr. Cho had such a love for America was because he was old enough to remember the Korean War and the other side of it. And he knew that if America hadn't come there and fought for South Korea, they would have been enveloped with, and basically would have just been big, one big North Korea under that type of dictatorship. So it was America's involvement that kind of spared them. And so he even used, when he first started in the ministry, he set up an old tent that was left behind by our military, and that was his first. He set that up, and that was the first place he was preaching under was an old military tent 
from us. Isn't that something? And he saw, he began to move in deep prayer, and that was the beginning of his ministry. And so we always had a love for America and a burden for America. So he instilled that in his people, and they, they were really praying for America. And he felt like America is really one of the last places where there's still a freedom to preach the gospel, a freedom of speech, that the gospel can go forth. And so having a great burden for us, he's praying for us. And in the early 90s, things really didn't look good. And he asked the Lord when he was here, Lord, are you done with America? And God gave him a prophetic word. And the Lord told him, no, I'm not done with America. He said, pull out a map. And so he pulled a map out and laid it out, read a large map on a desk or whatever, laid it out. And he said the Lord had his finger moved to Pensacola, Florida. And he said, I'm going to begin to move here. And it'll burn like a match head. You know how a match head will burn really bright and strong at first, but then it kind of dims down? He said, it'll burn like a match head here. And then he began to tell him, then it will begin to move up the east and along other places. And it will go, he showed him diagonally across. But anyway, at the end of it, I don't remember all the specifics about all that now. Much of that actually happened already. But he said, after all of that, he said he saw all of America coming into full flame like a blaze with the fires of revival. We haven't seen that yet. But the groundwork is laid. You see, all of us that have been touched in the previous revivals have been strategically placed by the Lord throughout this nation. Did you know there's a remnant of us all over the place? You know, And I remember Brother Ralph, when he, whenever revival began to wane, in the 90s into 2005, whatever, he, it began to wane. He was really concerned, Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? Because just like a lot of us, he thought, well, the Lord's going to come. Because one of the words was this revival, in essence, what, in one way or another, will continue until the Lord comes. But you have to understand, it's coming in two phases. Same revival, just like, for example, Azusa Street, Ebb and Flow, came back up in the 40s and 50s, but much stronger. Does that make sense? In the same way, there's been a major move. There's been an ebb and a flow, but it's about to have a major upsurge, and we're going to see that great wave. So it's come in two phases. And they saw that this revival that began would continue on until the Lord came. And so Ralph was praying by it. It's like, Lord, what's the deal? This is waning. And the Lord showed him a field, and he saw little pockets of fire and all of us, and I think I've shared this, but all of us have been camping enough to know that the fire will die down overnight, and then in the morning you've got to stoke the fire, put more wood, and they'll just come right back up. And that's what he saw. The Lord told him, said, there are still embers all throughout America, and I will breathe on those again, and they'll come back into flame. How many are looking forward to that? Amen. And so there was one more prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled that I believe is about to happen in this next great wave. And that's Ruth Ward Heflin. Ruth Ward Heflin was a prophetess, and she was actually a direct descendant of Jonathan Edwards. And God really used her. She was the one that called John Paul Jackson into ministry. It's a long story there. I don't have time to get into. But I saw her minister, and she prayed with me. She's a powerful woman of God. She's since gone home to be with the Lord. But whenever she was in Jerusalem one time, she said that she was there and she was caught up in this vision. 
And she said that in this vision, she was taken up and she was looking down over all of America and she could see America. And she said that she began to see the last day great move of God. I feel the anointing even as I'm starting to talk about this. This is about to be fulfilled. And she said, I saw the last day great move of God. And she said that she saw this platform. You know, platforms can be really wide. But she said this platform was deeper than any platform she's ever seen. I don't know what significance that has. But in, she saw that all these people were being drawn to, to this place. They were getting right with God. And, and there was all these healings and miracles that were happening to the degree that people were bringing critically ill people. That even some people that like an ambulance backed up and there was some people brought somebody out to the meeting because of, they had heard about the miracles. But she said in this vision, she saw all these people being drawn there that were in desperate need. And they were even like news reporters and stations that were recording some of this. And she says she knew she was watching the last great move of God before Jesus came. And she says she saw all of America come ablaze in the fires of revival. And when that fire had reached a crescendo of being fully ablaze, she says she knew that Dallas, Texas was like the hub of the revival. And so there is something about this location. I've wanted to leave and see the devil knows these prophecies and he knows just like you and I if it's a true prophecy and it's going to be fulfilled he wants to set up something against that to try to stop it and let me give you a biblical example remember when God told Abraham I'm going to give you the land of Canaan what did the devil do after Abraham and his descendants ended up in Egypt the devil filled Canaan with, I mean, the Nephilim and every type of Satan worship and witchcraft and everything you can imagine from border to border. He wanted to make sure that place was so spiritually locked up and oppressed to try to stop God's purposes. In other words, God, you said you won't give him this land. I'm going to make sure that never happens. But yet it did happen. I mean, knows the devil can't stop God. He can't stop God's purposes. So we're about to see some of these prophecies being fulfilled where America's going to see another great wave. And every time God's ever shown up in revival, it's always been in the darkest of times, the most difficult of times. Okay? You understand what I'm saying? So don't be discouraged when we see these things going on in the world. Not only that, but we're living in the last days. There's going to be thick darkness. But this is where I was going with this. Imagine for a moment. In this great wave that's about to come, that's going to not only be in America, but around the world, imagine, if you will, every aspect of every previous revival being full flame. So imagine, like the altar calls Charles Finney had, what we saw at Brownsville. Imagine the fields of Cane Ridge, or the move of God that happened in the Hebrides, or Wales where there's such a fear of God, a conviction of the Holy Spirit, that even the hardest hearts are melting. And I mean, there's a harvest being drawn in by the Holy Spirit that is awesome. Imagine that full flame. Imagine, if you will, the healings and the miracles we read about at Azusa. I mean, at Azusa, they even saw at times uh, an arm grow out or a finger grow out 
or an eyeball appear in a socket, things like that. Imagine the, the healings and miracles we read about in the 40s and 50s. Oral Roberts, William Branham, A.A. A. Allen. That tremendous healings and miracles on a biblical level. Imagine, if you will, the deliverances. Just like, for example, in the great Argentine revival, in mass, people being delivered from evil spirits. I mean, just God sweeping through a place and annihilating the devil's works and liberating people. Imagine seeing so many people baptized in the Holy Ghost and with fire. Again, like Azusa Street or the 90s revivals and great refreshing. Then all these different aspects that we've seen down through the last couple hundred years, it's like all of that comes together in the, and it crescendos in the last great wave that's going to get us ready to meet the Lord in the air. Because we've had a great move of God, and we've moved now in the 90s revivals into the glory, and God's getting us acclimated to his presence. He's getting us used to this glory realm. But imagine, if you will, now that we've been prepared that a greater glory than anything that's hit before comes in. And this is going to get us ready for the rapture for sure, but it's going to bring in the harvest. It's going to get people healed up. It's going to get people delivered of things. It's going to accomplish what we could never do. God himself is going to do it. And God's going to finish what he began. And I believe that this next wave, this, this next phase of a revival that began in the 90s is about to happen i really do but it's going to be contingent on us pressing in for it how many are hungry for this even as i'm talking about tonight i just feel a stirring in me man i just so hungry to see this i know you feel the same way but in first corinthians chapter 10 as we're moving into the last days 1 Corinthians 10 verse 1 says, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna. All drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. Do you see here that there, the cloud speaks of like the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the water is the baptism in water, and you can see they ate the same spiritual food. It's a picture and type of taking communion. Is this making sense? And so there was something spiritual going on here, and that led them to Sinai where they had their encounter with God. They had their Pentecost. And so as we've come now into these latter days, how many, I know that I've taught on this so you guys are aware of it, but how many of you guys realize fully that we're in the end times? I've been studying end time prophecy for over 20 years, and because of that, you get eyes that pick up on things. You know, as soon as Putin began to move into the Ukraine, because I know end time prophecy and have studied it for so many years, my first inclination was, well, this may be something about the Gog Magog War. Now, I'm not going to rabbit trail there. But whenever events start happening, 
you start, when you know the word and you know end time prophecy, you start seeing it a little bit differently than the world does. And the world isn't going to understand everything going on. But if you know prophecy, you know a lot of times there's things that are happening for a, a much greater purpose, a bigger picture that we don't fully understand. And so the Hebrew mindset about prophecy is quite a bit different than the Western mentality. We study uh, history, for example. We study history as just being a linear timeline. I had a friend of mine one time. I went to see him in his office, and his office was pretty good size because it was, had like adjoining rooms and all that. It was kind of an, an odd place to have an office, actually. But they made it into one. But he had gotten a hold of this timeline, historical timeline out of some book, and it went all the way down the wall for a long, long, I was surprised. And so it showed all these major historical events through the ages. But see, that's the way our mindset is from a Western mentality is just linear. But the Hebrew understanding of time especially in regards to prophecy, is not only linear, but it's cyclical, meaning that things keep repeating themselves and cycling. Let me give you an example. We see in Egypt there was a pharaoh. There were plagues that came down, and we saw God's people being removed. How many knows there's going to be an antichrist like a pharaoh? There's going to be plagues coming on the earth and God's people being removed. Does that make sense? Let me give you another example. In the days of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar wanted to be worshipped as a god. He had a big image set up. And he was demanding Israel to bow down and worship. Of course, they wouldn't. Shabbat, Meshach, and Abednego wouldn't. But again, you see that same cycle in the days of the Greeks, those that know this, it's referenced, alluded to in the scriptures. It was the story of the Maccabees where Antiochus Epiphanes did the same thing, set up an image, was demanding Israel to worship the image. Many would not do it. And again, you saw the same type of thing later. But listen, there's going to be an Antichrist one day in his image in the temple, and he's going to demand Israel to worship him in his image. Do you see how it keeps, it's linear, but it keeps cycling through. So just keep that in mind, because I say that for this reason, in the same way Israel was living in a time when there was a thick darkness that came on Egypt. And the Bible says in the last days there would be spiritual. I know in the book of Revelation there's actually going to be a plague of darkness, but there's going to be spiritual darkness, and we're already seeing it a thick darkness yet Israel had light it says in Isaiah that I see that there would be gross darkness thick darkness on the earth but the glory will be among God's people on God's people so how did Israel deal with these things God taught something here he showed them in the time of plagues darkness evil you saw the sorcerers the witchcraft of Pharaoh's courts all that was going on, death was prowling through the land. How many would say it seems like death has been trying to march through the land? I mean, there's been a lot of death in the last couple of years. 
While all this was going on, Israel, God taught them to come up under the blood of the Passover lamb. And I believe I'm going to deal with this in a, in a series in the future, right after I finish this series. But I believe God wants us to come up under the blood on a daily basis. And that blood, if we'll reverence the blood, we'll understand the power of the blood and the blood covenant that was cut at Calvary and speak the word of God, that we're going to paint the blood over our lives and the enemy's going to have to pass by. And there's going to be supernatural protection. And did you know that the book of Psalms records when Israel came out of Egypt, it says that they came out with silver and gold and there was none sick or feeble among them. In other words, when they took Passover, they were healed. And they came out of there with prosperity. I believe that God is wanting us to have some type of an understanding of his ways to where in these latter days that we can walk in divine health and prosperity even though all this darkness is around us. How many agree with me tonight? And God's teaching us some things so that we can apply them. But as Israel learned, they came up under the blood and they went through the wilderness time. They were baptized in water. As a nation, this was like them becoming a priestly nation. They came up under the blood, just like a priestly nation. They, they went through, they were baptized in water. They were baptized in the cloud. So you see the blood, the water, the spirit. They came out. They had an encounter with God. As they went through the wilderness, they were eating manna, which was a picture and type of taking communion every day. And because of this, the glory of God was with them. And because the glory was on them and with them in such a way, what happened? Their clothes didn't wear out. They had supernatural provision. How many knows when you're eating manna that fell out of the sky, quail that came out of nowhere in the middle of the desert, mind you, and drinking water that pops out of a rock, God is providing supernaturally. Supernatural provision. Also, they were kept healthy and strong. And... The Bible says they had supernatural victory over their enemies. They were outnumbered. There was no way that this group of refugees wandering through the wilderness should have been able to win the wars they won except that God was with them. So God kept them. Now once they got to the edge of the promised land and they sinned, then God's judgment came and then they began to die in the wilderness, etc. You know the story. But I'm saying that with the glory, they came up under the blood they were taking communion, there was a glory with them, and they were supernaturally protected and provided for. I believe that that's what God is trying to do. He's trying to bring us into a place as his people where we're going to understand and reverence the blood, be up under the blood. There's a fear of God. The glory is among us so intense that people are supernaturally protected divine health, supernatural provision. And I believe God is about to deliver his people. There's been an oppression coming against us. But God's about to bring deliverance and restoration. You know, the devil's thought that he's won. He's been causing all these problems with even foundational teachings about the gospel and all these things. He's, he's thought to himself he's stolen Pentecost from the church, by and large. He's stolen the intercessors. He's, he's stolen all these things. He's, he's accomplished so much. 
But you watch in the days to come as revival comes, God is going to restore those ruins again. He's going to raise up the pure gospel to be preached, the fear of God, the conviction. He's going to start healing people, the gifts of the Spirit in operation, and God's going to bring us back to Book of Acts Christianity. So for you and I, here's some things that we can learn To go deep into the glory, the priest once a year will go into the Holy of Holies. It was interesting because we talked about the layers of white, blue, and gold. But when it came time for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies once a year, he actually only wore the white layers. Isn't that interesting? It's just the white that got him in there. But what he would have to do, it was rather elaborate, and I don't have the time to go through it, but he had to personal immerse in water. There was a deep cleansing, a self-baptism to cleanse his life. He washed his hands and feet. He had to have on pure white that was fresh and clean. And he would have to do these things. Listen to what I'm saying here. He would have to kill an animal, a bull, for his own sin and that of his house. And he would take the blood of the bull. This was on the Day of Atonement. And he would go into the Holy of Holies. And first off, he had to put a censer of incense burning in there that would just fill the place with incense, which speaks of worship and prayer, right? But he would come in with the blood of the bull for his sin and his family and would sprinkle it with his finger on the mercy seat. And he would make atonement for himself and his family. Then now, he was spiritually ready. So he had already immersed in water. He, would, he was coming up under the blood himself. And now he would kill the goat bring that blood in there, sprinkle it. He would pray for the nation and there would be a forgiveness. But my point is, is there had to be this deep cleansing in his life to go into the glory. I realize I'm trying to say this the right way. Jesus paid for everything at the cross. I'm not saying that you have to like actually pay for something. But what I am saying is this. There is a bit of a price for us to go deeper in Christ. We have to die to ourselves, and we have to let God do the work he needs to do in us. You understand what I'm saying by that? So let me show you, how does God purify us? How does, it's the same pattern. In 1 John, it says, these three testify, the blood, the water, and the spirit. So God has called us, the children of Israel were a priestly nation. And Peter said about you and I, he said, you're a royal priesthood. Meaning you're not just a priesthood, but because of Jesus, who is of the tribe of Judah, there's a royal aspect. He said, you're actually a royal priesthood. So there is a kingly and a priestly together. And he said, but you're a priesthood. And he said, you're to offer up spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God. And he said that you together, like living stones, come together to build God a dwelling. So we are a priesthood. So how is it that I'm saying all of this tonight because I believe that God is about to move in the days to come very powerfully. There's going to be a wave of his glory come, but God is also calling us to be ready for that. And as we go through seasons like we're about to do a prayer and fasting, we're saying, Lord, do a work in me. Show me things I need to repent of. Show me things I couldn't see. And we're repenting and letting God do a deep cleansing in our heart. But then here's, here's something I want to show you. As priest unto God, 
God used this pattern and he took he, Moses. He told Moses to take Aaron and his sons. Now, this is a thing that you shall do to consecrate them. Everybody say consecrate. For them to minister as priests, he said, take a young bull with two rams without blemish and unleavened bread, unleavened cakes. So it's a picture and type also the unleavened bread of the communion table. And he says unleavened wafers with oil and all of that. And then look what he says. Skip down to verse 4. Then you, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the door of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So there was an immersion. There was a water baptism. And what's the first scripture I read? That we can enter the Holy of Holies now in Christ. His veil, the veil was his flesh. We can come in having our bodies washed with pure water. Is everybody seeing the same pattern here? And you shall take the garments and clothe Aaron with the tunic, the robe of the ephod, and all that. So there is a clothing of some kind, the robe of righteousness. There's garments that we wear spiritually. And then he said this in verse 7, Then you will take the anointing oil and pour it over his head and anoint him. Isn't that interesting? And then also, as I talked about earlier, Aaron had to kill, they had to kill the animal and the blood was applied. So you see the same pattern. There's a washing of water, there's blood applied, and there's an anointing with oil. This same pattern is all through the word of God. You can see it. And I, I think about this, it's rather interesting. When you look at Jesus right at the Passover time when he was going to die, the disciples, this was the culture, I promise you that this would have happened. This was the culture, it's the way it was. When Passover came, it was time to consecrate your life unto God. All the men went to Jerusalem, and one of the things everybody did that was religious and sincere, there was all these different mikveh pools there, and they would go and they would self-immerse, like a self-baptism to be cleansed, okay? That was happening. Everyone, I promise you they did this. Keep that in mind. So Jesus now, so you have the, their bodies washed with pure water. Jesus now at the Seder Passover meal, he now, now granted the whole Passover meal, when you understand it from a New Testament perspective, is about Jesus' body and blood. But Jesus gave them communion. And he blessed the bread. This is my body. He blessed the cup. This, drink this. You know what he was doing? He was bringing them up under the blood. And the Bible says that he even, listen, the priests, before they could go into the Holy of Holies, even had to wash their hands and feet with water. They, at the beginning of the Passover meal, they washed their hands. You guys know this because we go through this as an illustrated sermon. But Jesus took it a step further. A lot of people don't really understand. But Jesus washed their feet. And granted, that was a humble servant. I understand that. But there was a little bit more to it. He was cleansing them. They had already been immersed, but now he was washing their hands and feet because he knew that they were about to have their Holy of Holies encounter where the oil was about to be poured over them. And once the oil was poured over them, they had been washed, they had been under the blood, and they had been baptized in the Holy Ghost and anointed. Now Peter could say, we are a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood. They had been consecrated and you read about after that, that, that activity going on to consecrate them, 
you read about this such a level of the glory in their midst that even Peter's shadow was healing the sick. It was a deep place of the glory that produced incredible miracles. I haven't lost anybody, have I? Could it be that God is drawing us to a deeper level of consecration because he's about to increase his glory so that we can see things we've never seen before? I feel something stirring here tonight. And you know, when it was time for Israel to leave Egypt, there was this groan. The Bible says they groaned. And I have felt a groan. I feel a river of life. Some of you have felt it. There's just this deep calling unto deep. There's a deep groan and intercession because it's time for something to happen. It's time for a breakthrough. And so as we, as we come through this time of breakthrough, God is wanting us to be spiritually ready. So I do this twice a year. But as a church, we have a season of prayer and fasting. Everybody's going to be seeking the Lord. We'll have a sheet that we're all agreeing about some specific things. But at the end of that time of fasting, we're going to come together and we're really going to take the communion. And we're going to bring our lives under the blood. My wife and I are going to anoint all of you with oil. And I'm going to believe God for a fresh anointing, a fresh baptism in the Holy Ghost, a fresh baptism of fire. And then those that want to participate, they can come out. We'll have water immersion after service, and usually people come. But here's what I've found as we've done this, as people have prayed and fasted, and then we've been consecrating our lives in a fresh way. I've had people tell me after this, I've heard this a lot, Pastor, I feel different. Some people have been healed of things, physical miracles. Other people have been delivered from tormenting things. They've been delivered from things. And there's definitely a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit, so to speak, a fresh impartation, if you will. And I believe River of Life, as we've been doing this a couple times a year, and people have been really taking it serious, you know what's been happening? If we could go back in time years ago and then come back tonight... God has been increasing his glory in our midst. How many have been here long enough that you can say, I know what you're talking about? God is, there's more of an open heaven. What I have found years ago, I was looking back over these old prophecies, and I'm going to kind of close this out now and we'll pray. But I was looking back over old prophecies, and probably around 2017 or so, God was telling me this. And some of you may remember this. He told me, he said, that scripture about in Isaiah where it talked about the two-leaf gate, it has to do with the heavens being brass, like an oppression. And here we were in Dallas. I mean, we'd pray, and I remember back then the intercessors would have visions of things. They'd share it with me. Pastor, I see that there's like this something we're hitting in the heavens and we're pressing through. Well, now, now the heavens are wide open. That two-leaf gate, the Lord spoke to me back then, three things he said i'm gonna deal with this two-leaf gate the second thing he told me was this he said you're crossing the jordan into the promised land and i remember that, it, that when you crossed the jordan there was like water immersion so it had to do with the cleansing and so i felt the lord saying to me i'm going to be cleansing you guys so that you can go into your promised land and gradually over time god has been clean, cleansing our lives 
taking us deeper in him and he's been taking us more and more into things that have been promised the third thing he told me was this that the veil would be ripped and we would go deeper into the glory and incrementally through the years we've seen an increase of the glory and i think about just recently at this past conference what an awesome move of god but there was an increase of the glory We've been seeing it up to a point, but how many are ready to see the fullness come, the full flame? And I would say this too, by God's incredible grace and mercy, he has had divine appointments for me for years. All of this serves as a purpose. God doesn't waste his time. I have stumbled upon, without any great effort on my part, I have stumbled upon significant divine appointments for people lay hands over me. And it was significant when they did. And God has had people, and then I've prayed with you, but God's had people come in here that's laid hands on you. You think about through the years, the people that has come through here that's laid hands on you. I think about John Davis, but I think about people like Lyndall Cooley. I, I think about different, different mighty men of God, like Sergio Scatiglini and, and, and Ralph. There's been many. I remember even big John Hall coming when he prayed for us. You know what? That was significant. He's gone home to be with the Lord, but that was significant. And other times where maybe we've gone places and people's laid hands on us. And you know what I felt the Lord say to me as we're coming into this fall? I felt the Lord say he's wanting everything to start becoming full flame. What that means is everything that's been imparted to us to begin to really manifest and come forth. It's time. And it's time for us to begin to lay hold of these things. Hopefully this sermon made sense tonight. But let me close with this scripture. Isaiah 4, 4. It says, When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion, has purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst by a spirit of justice and by a spirit of burning... The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and a shining of a flaming fire by night. This is a messianic prophecy when Jesus comes to Jerusalem. But the Bible says that he will purge Jerusalem from the evil. And then there would be a glory that would come over Jerusalem and all of her dwellings. And what does it say? The glory will be a covering. Another scripture says a defense. A translation rather says a defense. It will be a covering. And it says there will be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat and for a place of refuge and for a shelter from the storm and from rain. Now isn't that something? Once again we see there being this deep consecration that brought a glory, but that glory brought a level of supernatural protection. How many knows that we're living in some dark times, but God has called us to be a people that know our God, know who he is, know his promises, know his word, and that we can come up under the blood covenant and we know who we are, what we have in Christ. We're consecrating our ways unto God. Therefore, the glory is in our midst. And consequently, we can walk in divine health. We can walk in prosperity. We can walk in victory. And don't be discouraged if you haven't seen every single thing God's promised. Keep pressing into him because he is faithful. He that began a good work in you will do it. Whatever it is you're believing for, if it's physical, if it's material, 
whatever it is, if you're believing for loved ones, I promise you, if you will stay in faith and keep the word of the Lord in your heart and keep it coming out of your mouth, God is faithful to do it. And I'm going to close with this as we pray. I think about Lazarus. I love the story where Jesus came in there and he had deliberately waited. Sometimes we wonder why do things seem to linger? Why do sometimes things seem like they take too long or like it should have already happened? I've wondered that sometimes. I thought, man, did we miss God somewhere? Why is certain things taking so long, even things that God said he would do? But yet Jesus said he would go, but he waited. And it was interesting to me reading this story because he waited until Lazarus died. Now, here's the thing. Lazarus could have just been another healing. Jesus had already seen a lot of healings. But, God, but Jesus really loved Lazarus and his, his sisters. In fact, it seemed to be that this was a place when he was traveling through the area, he would stay with them. He seemed to really love them. And God the Father honored Lazarus in that he wasn't just another healing. This was going to be something significant. And so God had to wait for Lazarus to die. He had to wait so that it would not just be just another healing, but it would be a dead raising. It would be something that would shake Jerusalem. It would shake the religious community. And when Jesus got there, the Bible says that he wept but the scriptures indicate in the Greek that he groaned. There was a deep intercession. There was a groan. Don't forget that word because I believe those groans in Romans 8, too deep for words, those groans. Some of you intercessors, that you feel that groan in you. <clears throat> that groan is because God is wanting to raise the dead. What is revival? It's the raising of the spiritually dead. God is wanting to raise the dead. He's wanting to release miracles. He's wanting to bring in a harvest. And even as I'm preaching tonight, I feel a stirring. I feel something significant, but also feel hell is irritated and resisting this. I'm going to tell you something just for those that are listening here and out there. Hell is not going to be able to stop what's about to come. They can resist it all they want. God's still going to do it. And he's going to do everything he says. Every prophecy that's of God is going to be fulfilled in the days to come. And Jesus began to groan, and it raised the dead. And when Lazarus came out, it shook Jerusalem. It shook the religious community. It was a notable miracle, and people began to talk about this. Well, surely he's the son of God. He even raised the dead. That type of miracle came out of that groan, but it came also because Jesus waited. Don't get discouraged because sometimes things take longer than what you think they should. All of us have felt that way. It could be that God is waiting because he's about to do something very significant, and there's going to be testimonies come out of this that's going to really shake the religious community. So, Lord, I thank you for your word tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the power of your spirit. And, Lord, even as we preach this series, we got a few more to go. But I thank you, Lord, for your word, and I thank you for getting this in our spirit. Lord, help us to be a people that believe you and press into the promised land. It's time. In Jesus' name, amen.